Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1. That is where we will be this Lord's Day as we continue to walk through God's Word uh, together. Uh, We spent some time walking through the book of Genesis, and then last week we began looking at the book of Acts. And as we looked there, I reminded you that uh, Acts is written by Luke, uh, who also wrote uh, the gospel according to Luke. And then Acts is essentially a a follow-up to that, the second volume, you might say, in a set that he's written to uh, Theophilus. And he's written these things to give an account of not just the life and ministry, crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, but to give an account of how the Holy Spirit moved in the life of the early church and the disciples and, and what took place as they were committed to walk by faith, to trust in Christ, and what we're called to, I believe, today. I think as we study this book of Acts, what we're studying is what's God's call what God's call is in the life of our church today, how we're to walk by faith, how we're to be empowered by the Holy Spirit, how we're to make witnesses throughout the nations. Do you remember last week we talked about how Luke uh, was writing uh, to explain what had happened right there as, as Jesus was with the disciples, spent time with them, teaching them after the resurrection, and then the ascension takes place. And where we left off last week was the disciples are gathered there Uh, Jesus has ascended and the angels from heaven say to them, uh, Jesus is returning in the same way that he left. And essentially, they're giving them a charge with that to to go and do what Jesus has called you to do. They were to make witnesses throughout the nations. And yet, Jesus had told them as much as they were to go, they were also to wait because the Holy Spirit would come and would fill them and they were to wait until that moment. And that is where we pick up on in Acts chapter 1, this Lord's Day, beginning in verse 12. And so, uh, if you are able to stand out of reverence for the Word of God, if you would, as we read this passage together, remembering this is the holy, inspired, true Word of God to His church. And this is what it says. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath's day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas the son of James. All these were with one accord, devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120. And said, Brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus, for he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong he burst open in the middle, and all his boughs gushed out. And it became known to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem so that the field was called in their own language a kaldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of Psalms, May his camp become desolate and let there be no one to dwell in it and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John, Until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. 
And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show us which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and the apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go to his own place. And they cast lots for them. And the lot fell on Matthias, and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. If you would, pray with me. Father God, we do pray that your Holy Spirit might give understanding to this word. And in the name of Jesus, we pray, God, that you would use it in our lives. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. Looking back over some two decades of ministry now, I've had a number of situations and questions that are somewhat repetitive in nature, things that occur in people's lives and they come when in counsel. But perhaps the question I've been asked the most as a minister is one related to plans and making decisions. In some form or fashion, the question is, how can I know God's will for my life? How do I determine what God wants me to do in this situation? How do I know who He wants me to marry? How do I know how many children I should have? How do I know whether, whether this job is the right one or not? How do I know what decision I should make about this situation? Sometimes there are questions about God's will because of life stages we go through. Sometimes there are questions about God's will because of the things that happen to us in life that we don't see coming. Crises and tragedies, sufferings that come our way, and we're faced with the question, Lord, what am I to do now? And what I find when people ask that question is that so often we usually don't have biblical ways of determining what God's will is. And we turn usually more to searching for signs, looking for God to give us some type of wink from heaven, some indication to tell us, do this, don't do this. And the ways we look about determining God's will look more like worldly superstition than they look like godly counsel. And we do it in all kinds of ways. I remember one young man years ago that I was giving counsel to and he was trying to determine whether the young lady that he was dating was to be his wife, whether this was the one or not. And so he started sharing with me about how he, he, he knew that she needed to be someone who had a, a servant's heart. and He could serve her and she could serve him and they could really love each other. And he said, so, so this is what I figured out. He said, uh, I've asked God to show me if she's the one and this is what I've asked God to do. Tonight, I'm going to open the door for her. And when she gets in the car, I'm going to go around the other side. And if she reaches over and opens the door for me, then I'll know she's the one. Well, that's all well and good, but what happens if she opens it on the way to dinner, but not on the way home? You know, what happens if when she's reaching over to open the door, she gets a cramp and doesn't quite finish the job? What happens, and you can fill in the blank there. We laugh at things like that, but if we're honest, we, we do the same thing sometimes. We sit down in the morning and our Bible reading is in Psalm 8. And as we read through Psalm 8, we pray about the day and we pray about the job interview we have later. And we arrive at the job interview only to find that it's on 8th Street. And then the office that we're going to is on the 8th floor. And then we start to think, well, this just is from the Lord. And, and so, Lord, if this is the job I'm to have, I'm sure the phone will ring at 8 o'clock tonight. You know? 
What happens if it rings at 8 o'clock the next morning? Or or what happens when they call if they say, we're going to pay you $8 a day? (laughs) And we have all these gimmicks and these ways of, of really going before God and saying, show me, show me, show me. And yet at the same time, so often we ignore or we don't pay attention to the things that God has already put in front of us. We come to a point in the Scripture today when the early church had to make a decision. The early followers of Christ had to determine what was the Lord's will for them. Specifically in regards to leadership, in regards to who would fill the place of Judas. And and what we find, I believe, is a group of men who go about things not according to worldly counsel, but according to biblical means of finding God's will. And I think as we walk through this passage, we can better understand how we're determining God's will for us today. And so again, the the situations may vary in this room, but I'm certain that many of you are trying to determine what God would have you do in relation to something today. And so I pray that this word might be helpful to you, beginning with the first point you find there in your notes. As we're seeking to understand God's will, patience and prayer are foundational to understanding what God's will is for our lives. You notice the first thing that takes place here, the disciples go back to Jerusalem. If you were with us last week, you know that Jesus had told the disciples they were to go to Jerusalem and to wait there for the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how difficult that may have been for the disciples. They were ready for a call to action. They were ready to do something. They had followed Jesus. They thought Jesus would be king here and now. They found that that's not what's going to happen. He's been crucified. He's been resurrected. Now Jesus has given them their orders. He said, I want you to go to the nations, to the ends of the earth, and I want you to be my witnesses. But before you're going to do that, he says this to them. I want you to wait. I want you to stop and be still. And isn't that a difficult instruction for us? Isn't that a difficult instruction, not just for the disciples, but for us in our lives today? Think about how impatient we are, how how much we don't like to wait for things. My goodness, we we don't even like to wait at a stoplight, do we? You're getting close to it, and you're kind of figuring out, okay, it's yellow, can I make it past it? Because if I don't, I'm going to have to sit and wait through a whole stoplight. And then when the light turns red, what do we do? We're kind of not just watching that light to see when it's green. We're watching the lights on the other side to see if we can determine when they turn red so that we'll know exactly when ours is going to turn green. And then if it doesn't work that way, my goodness, watch out. We get so frustrated over having to stop and wait at a traffic signal. So we get a lot more frustrated, don't we, when God has us at that place where he simply wants us to wait. And I think that's the reason that we fall prey to to worldly counsel so often is because we don't like to wait. And perhaps the Lord wants us, perhaps He has you in a place right now where that's what He's wanting you to do. He's wanting you to do what He's told the disciples to do. Just stop and be patient and wait and I will show you in my time what it is I have for you. And we don't like to wait. So that's when we start looking for all these signs and that's when we start looking for all these indications and that's when we start basically taking our patterns and our desires and just trying to slap something spiritual on top of them to make them sound good. 
So you sleep in one Sunday morning and you don't come to church and the next Sunday people see you. How are you doing? Well, the Lord wanted me to get some rest last Sunday, so I overslept. Maybe the Lord wanted you to go to bed earlier on Saturday night, you know. But, but we try to spiritualize things and we try to label things and we look for signs. And so whether it's the series of eights that I talked about earlier or it's our own little gimmick we lay out for the Lord, we're just not very good at waiting, are we? And yet, what does God call His people to do? So often He calls them to wait. The psalmist says in Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen, Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. And what chaos and suffering and tragedy come in the Word of God when His people will not wait for Him. And the same is so often true of our church today and in our lives today. And so the first thing we need to realize when we're seeking to determine God's will is God may not reveal it to you as quickly as you want to know what it is. And your instruction in mine is to be patient and to wait. So, so what are we to do in that waiting? Well, the scripture gives us an indication here as we look to the disciples. They were told to wait, but they didn't just sit by and let the time go idly by. They did something. And what they did was they prayed. The scripture tells us here that they gathered together and it says in verse 14, with one accord they were devoting themselves to prayer. That that, that term there, uh, accord, one accord, is actually two words put together. It's the word for for one, the same, homo, and it's the word for for mind, uh, thinking, it's thumos, homo thumos. It means of the same mind, of the same accord. What it means is that these men and women from vastly different backgrounds were somehow praying about the same thing. Now you just think about that in the context for a second. Think about this group of people. This is the same group of people that when they're going from place to place, they're arguing over who's going to be first in the kingdom. (laughs) Uh, These are the same people who are kind of quick to to take shots at one another sometimes. And then you think about that in the bigger context of what's happened. Their their leader is gone. Christ has ascended to heaven. They are waiting for the Spirit. You think about what happens in our lives sometimes. For example, when, when, when the patriarch, the matriarch of the family passes away, how rather than coming together so often families divide. They, they go after one another and there's division there. You think about what happens in companies sometimes when a, when a leader moves on, how that company, instead of coming together, sometimes it just breaks apart. And you see every reason then for the disciples to, to, to be at odds with one another here, and yet they're not. The Scripture says they're coming together with one accord, with one mind, and they're praying. I, I would love to have seen or or be able to have insight as to what it is they were praying for. (laughs) The scripture doesn't really tell us. It just says they they were praying. And so we can infer, we can can guess, but we don't know what it is they were praying for. I wonder if some of their prayers were prayers of confession. I wonder if, for example, you had Peter confessing before others and before the Lord his, his failures, his denial of Christ. I wonder if the other disciples then, as they heard Peter's confession, if they were convicted of their own sin and they started to confess how 
how they ran away when Jesus was arrested, how they dispersed, how they were scared. And perhaps as they're praying for those things, they were praying, Lord, would you empower us not to coward? Would you empower us not to run away again? Whatever they were praying, they certainly were, I would assume, praying for guidance, for wisdom as to what was coming next. They knew the Spirit would come and would empower them. And so they were praying to God how it is they were to respond. And you consider those things and think about how they prayed and then you line that up with how we pray and and you may see a difference. You think, for example, about the things that you pray for and that I pray for. Think of what the last thing you prayed for was. Think of what you often pray for and what that is. And chances are, it's someone's health. Chances are, it's someone's well-being. Chances are, at times, it's something very generic. Lord, I pray for peace in the world today. I pray that everything goes good. Or maybe it's something very specific. Maybe you're praying because God has put something on your heart and in your life. You're praying for a person, for something about them. I'm not saying those things are bad to pray for, but, but, but the question is, how do we know what to pray for? We're told all the time we need to pray. We see the disciples gathering to pray, but, but how do we know what to pray for? Jesus taught the disciples how to pray. We have the Lord's Prayer, but, but what are we to pray for? What is to guide us and help us to understand when we're seeking to know the will of God and we're praying about that, how do we know what it is we're to pray for? Well, I think we have some insight from this passage, and that leads us to the next point in your notes there, point two. God's Word is foundational to our understanding of how we're supposed to pray. You see, as they prayed, I think their prayers were were rooted in the Word of God because as Peter gets up to address them after they've spent time praying, the very first thing he talks about is the Scripture. He reminds them, brothers, the Scripture had to be fulfilled. Why did they need this reminder? Well, consider what's taking place here. Judas was one of them. Judas was their brother. Judas was counted among the disciples. He was a leader. And yet not only has he deserted and betrayed, Judas is now dead. And according to Matthew's account and Luke's account in the book of Acts, his death was horrifying. He took his own life. Descriptions are given to what happened after that in this passage. And probably some of them are a bit distraught by that. I mean, if that happened to someone close to you. And perhaps others, as they know of this and as they've experienced this, they're starting to wonder and get concerned about themselves. If Judas could turn on Jesus, what would keep them from turning on Jesus? After all, these men had doubts. They had worries. They had fears. Perhaps some of them, when they're praying, We're praying about their own temptations with greed like Judas. And so Peter, in a very timely and a very compassionate way, he stands up in front of them and he says, okay, listen, yes, we've lost Judas, but, but understand this. The Scriptures were fulfilled in what took place here. This is what the Scriptures told us would happen. Now, how did Peter know this? Well, we could say, well, Peter at that moment is just filled with the Spirit and he's just saying things he doesn't even understand. And 
sometimes I think we think of that when we think about the Spirit. We think, well, all these verses that are coming to his mind, it's like he's a robot and he doesn't even know what he's saying. I think it's more likely, though, that Peter spent time in the Scriptures. Uh, that Peter listened to Jesus. You know, the Scripture tells us that Jesus, after his resurrection, he came and spent time with the disciples and he opened up for them the Scriptures, the Old Testament prophets. He helped them to understand what the Scripture taught. And so Peter and others, they, they were listening to Jesus, and they were listening to the Word, and they were meditating on, in this case, the Psalms, and they were able to put those pieces together and say, oh, wait, hey, here, here's, here's what this, this is what happened. The Scripture has addressed this. The Scripture has spoken to this. You see, so often there's things we want to know and we're asking God about and, and He's already made them explicitly clear in the Bible. But, but we spend so very little time looking to God's Word in those areas that we miss it. And so, for example, perhaps right now you're, you're faced with a situation in your marriage and you're trying to determine what you're to do. Perhaps you're thinking about marriage in general and about relationships and you're trying to determine what to do. And you're trying to think of how to pray. Well, a great way to pray about marriage is to open up God's Word and read what it says about marriage. And simply go to those passages that speak about marriage and read them and consider them. And so I've talked to people at times who were who were considering engagement, or they either were engaged to someone who the Scripture would refer to as an unequally yoked person, someone who was not a believer, and they were a believer, and they were coming to me to say, well, I really think this is who God wants me to marry. And I just would simply open up God's Word and say, well, I, I think this is actually what the Word is speaking to here. It tells you not to. Now, that's not the most comfortable place to be. And so we either respond to that by saying, I will bring myself in submission and obedience to it, or we say, you know, but this is how I feel. And for most of us, we've become so used to making decisions based on how we feel that we need to be reprogrammed to consider what does it mean to make decisions based on what God's Word says. Because if this is the authoritative Word of God in our lives, friends, then it should instruct us in every matter of our life. You're having troubles with your family and with your kids, God's Word speaks to those things. You're having problems in relationships, God's Word speaks to those things. You're having trouble discerning what you're to do and what city you're to move to and what job you're to take, God's Word speaks to those things. You're having trouble considering and determining how you're to respond in a situation and whether or not you're to deal with something. God's Word deals with those things. It speaks to those things. And when we pray, we're to pray according to it so that we might better understand that. But this is often what happens when we pray. So often when we pray, we don't pray according to God's Word. We just pray according to how we feel about things. And we pray according to what we want. And we pray according to what our desires are. And that's a dangerous place to be because then we, just starting to, we start to look for God's seal of approval on what we want. God, I really want to be in a relationship with this person, so... Could you stamp that off for me? <laughs> God, I really want to do this thing, and so I hope this works out. Stamp, please. 
God, I don't understand why this person's struggling. They shouldn't be. Why don't you just stamp that too while you're at it? And we look at God in prayer like we look at a passport agent as we walk through an airport. Just, just put the stamp here, please, so I can move on. And God gives us a very different understanding of prayer as we come to His Word and we see that, that He desires to use prayer in our lives and through our lives to, to really change us. So you may have heard it taught this way, that prayer is a conversation between you and God. God speaks to us through His Word, and we respond to Him through prayer. And I think that's accurate, but here's what I see. We need to stop talking so much, and we need to do a little bit more listening. Because oftentimes, if that's the scenario, if God is speaking through His Word and we're responding through prayer, then it's a pretty one-sided conversation, isn't it? Because oftentimes we're not listening to what God's Word says. We're just talking to Him and over Him. It's kind of like trying to have a conversation in a car full of small children. (laughs) I told someone the other day that I learned as a parent that it wasn't probably going to be the big decisions and these major issues that were going to give me a heart attack. It was going to be a drive-through line one day. We're just shouting and they're shouting and it's all out there. And if we're not careful, that, that's what our prayer life is. We're just throwing out, I want this, I want this, no, I want this, no, I changed my mind, I want this now. And we're not sitting and patiently waiting on the Lord and listening to Him. We're not opening up the counsel of His Word. But if we do and if we will, this is what we find. The final point I put there in your notes We find that praying according to God's Word then, it it aligns our will with God's will. Have you ever had a vehicle that was out of alignment? A couple years ago, I was driving Sandy's SUV down the parkway, and as I was driving it, I wanted to go straight. That's a good thing to do when you're on the parkway. And it wanted to go to the right. And so I'm just, you know, kind of sitting there not paying great attention. I notice, hey, I keep kind of going to the right here. So at first I'm thinking, maybe I'm getting sleepy and I don't realize it. And, and then I realize, no, there, there's a problem with this vehicle. I want to go straight and it wants to go right. I want to go straight and it wants to go right. So I'm pulling it and I'm pulling it and I'm pulling it to make it go straight. And it's just this battle to get where I want to go. And so I take it into the shop and I don't, know a lot about these things, but didn't take much to say. I want to go straight and wants to go to the right, and I'd really like it to go straight when I want to go straight and go right when I want to go right and left when I want to go left. And the guy says, okay, that's alignment. Okay, there you go, and here's all the money, and now we're good. And I pull out and I get on the parkway, and guess what? I want to go straight, and it goes straight. Go want to go right, it goes right. Want to go left, it goes left. Life's great. But you know, so often in life when it comes to seeking the will of God, We're pulling one way, and the Lord wants us to go another way, and we're just like this. And what often happens at those moments is we get tired of this, and so this is what we do. I'm good, Lord. I'm going to figure I'm tired of that. And I look around the world, and everybody's telling me this, and this is what I'm going to do because this is what feels good, and this is what I want to do, and this is what everybody else is doing, and this is archaic and outdated, and I don't even know if it's real or not. And rather than aligning ourselves to what it says, we just go. And we do what the Scripture says Judas did. 
Scripture tells us here in Acts 1 that Judas just went away to his own place. And what a picture of a place that was. (laughs) Where he would take his own life and where his body would just... See, God calls us to a better way than that. He says to us, if, if we will consider His Word and be rooted in it as we pray, if we will come to Him seeking to understand His will, this is what He does in His grace and His goodness. We don't have to get out the credit card like I did at the shop or the checkbook. He says He's going to align us with His will. You see, prayer, seeking to understand the will of God, is not us coming to God saying, God, here's what I want to do, which you just put your stamp on it. Seeking to understand the will of God is coming to God saying, God, I, I don't know which one it is. I don't know what I'm to do, but I trust you do. What, what is it? Show me. And that's what we see the disciples doing here. Peter says very clearly that the Lord knows the heart of men. He doesn't. Oh, what a word that is. We, we think we know what to do based on the external appearances. Only God knows the heart of men. And he says to the Lord here, Lord, you know men's hearts. And here are two that we put before you. And we need to know which one it is. God's Spirit had, had led them in some way to come up with these criteria. We need someone who's been with us this amount of time. We need someone who's been a witness to these things. And so they put forward these two And then they come before the Lord with these two. And notice what it is he prays. Verse 24. Show which one of these two that you have chosen. Peter doesn't come before the Lord and say, Okay, Lord, I really think it should be Matthias. (laughs) And so, Lord, would you just help me to see if it's supposed to be Matthias? Because Matthias is the one we all feel pretty good about. We, we really all think it's him, but we're not sure yet. We really need you to show us if it's him or not. No, he comes before the Lord and he says, Lord, in your goodness, your grace, your majesty, your sovereignty, your mightiness, you, you've already figured this out. None of this is a surprise to you. You already know who it is. God, would you just show us who it is? And friends, that's the way we're to pursue knowing the will of God. Not by coming to God saying, God, I want this, would you sign off on it? But by coming before Him with open hands and saying, Lord, would you show me your will because you have one. You know my heart better than I know my heart. Lord, would you help me to know my own heart? Lord, would you lead me? Would you guide me? Would you help me to understand what it is you have for me? And you may hear all this and think, well, that's all well and good, but but, but read the rest of the passage here. Then they cast lots for them. <laughs> and that might strike you as it strikes so many. Okay, what, what, what's going on there? So you basically have the disciples, and they're praying fervently, and they're reading the Word of God, and then they basically get out the dice. <laughs> Say, okay, we don't know. Let's just roll the dice and see who it's going to be. Anybody got a coin we can flip? And we look at that like it's some type of superstition, some type of uh, worldly way for the disciples to say, well, we can't figure this out, so we'll just leave it to chance. But that's, that's not what it is here. We need to understand a few things. One, uh, casting lots was something that was used throughout the Old Testament among God's people to determine God's will. We also need to understand with that, though, that it wasn't something that we've been instructed in the New Testament to do and to practice in the church today. 
In fact, this is the only occurrence in the book of Acts, and you'll find it placed at a moment before the Spirit comes. That the indwelling Holy Spirit is the one who would be the counselor, who would be the guide, who would be the teacher, and the disciples have not received that yet, so they're at this point where they, they, they've sought God's Word and they've prayed and they have two before them and they're simply saying to the Lord, Lord, which one is it? Will you, will you show us? And then God uses this to do that. It's very different than us today saying, well, Lord, if this is the right person, then, I, then, then they'll unlock my door. <laughs> Lord, if this is the right job, then, then they'll call at 8 o'clock. Lord, if this is the right major, then I'll get straight A's. Lord, if this is the right person, then, then they'll say something that will make me smile. And all these other things we lay before the Lord. No, this was a group of people who got on their knees and sought the will of God, who waited patiently for God to reveal that will to them, who grounded their prayers in the Word of God. And it stands before us, not only today as a guide, as an example, it stands before us, To ask us the question, is this how we go about seeking to understand God's will? And if it's not, it lays before us the opportunity to reconsider then how we've been going about making decisions in our life. And so perhaps today you are faced with a decision to make. Perhaps God has this word in your life for a future point when you'll make a decision. Perhaps it's something you're counseling others in. But all of us deal with this question, how do we know what God would have us do? And I think what we see before us today is what we know through praying and praying not just felt needs, but praying according to the Word of God. And then as we do, seeking to have God align our will with His. Is that what you and I are doing today? And if it's not, this stands as an opportunity for us to repent and have faith and walk with Christ. And so I invite you today as we offer this time a response to pray according to that, to pray that that you might go biblically about seeking to understand God's will. To pray, as I mentioned last week, as we go through this book of Acts, for those people God has placed you around who may not be Christians, who may not be actively involved in a church today, people who you and I need to go before the Lord praying for them, praying that God would so work in their lives and bring them to the truth of the gospel. There are many, many things you could pray for during this time of invitation. We simply invite you to respond and pray according to how God leads. So if you would stand together. And let me pray for us. Father God, I do pray that we would respond accordingly, according to your word as you lead us. And Lord, I pray, God, that we would be a church that makes decisions based on your word, not based on our feelings, not based on worldly counsel. I pray we'd be like the blessed man in Psalm 1 who meditates on the Word day and night. and He's like a tree firmly planted by streams of water. It yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither. Because the wicked are not so, they're like chaff that the wind drives away. And therefore they will not stand in the judgment. The righteous will stand because they'll stand because they're clothed in the righteousness of Christ. And so Lord, I pray for any in our lives who who've not received that, who've not responded to the gospel, Lord, that you would burden us for them, that we would pray specifically for them even now, Lord, that you would empower us to share the gospel with them. Lord, I pray for those today who are seeking to understand your will. I pray we would go around about it biblically, that we would pray, that we would wait, 
that we pray according to your word. As we pray for those things, Lord, we pray for any that you're drawing to calling to come and join this church fellowship, calling to come and confess Christ. We invite them to come during this time and we pray for this in Christ's name. Amen. Church, as we sing, we certainly invite you to come as the Lord leads and to respond.